0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Caramel Rock podcast. I'm your host Renata Hoga. In every episode, I will be talking to a different guest working within the fashion and creative industry. We will be discussing their career journeys whilst also focusing on an interesting fashion related topic. For this episode, we have special guest Comet Chukura, the founder and designer behind the reflective knitwear brand Glow. Glow is an enterprise that combines Comet's passion, the purposeful design, women empowerment and cycling. We also discuss her vision of creating visibility within the maker and consumer relationship. This was an insightful and inspiring conversation. I hope you enjoy listening. So welcome Comet to the Camel Rock podcast. If you wanted to just start by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about yourself. Thank you,
1: thanks for having me. Uh, My name's Comet, I'm the founder of GLOW, um, and we are a social enterprise that works with women, primarily black and minority women, um, to hand-knit and to crochet and to create fashionable pieces of uh, clothing that are high-vis and sustainable. And our, sort of our goal is to level up equality. so we give women an opportunity to use their existing skills to make commercially viable products that we
0: then sell. Nice, that's an incredible um, business kind of structure that you've created. Um, but let's start off a little bit about you. So how did you find yourself wanting to pursue fashion design?
1: Well, I studied fashion at the London College of Fashion uh, about 10 years ago. And so I guess I've always been really interested, obviously, in fashion and always wanted to create something authentic within fashion. So, um yeah, it's always been something that I've really enjoyed sort of interacting with and trying to innovate within, you know.
0: Mm, yeah. How was your time at? London College of Fashion, how did you find that experience of being um in the fashion education uh it was interesting.
1: I mean, I have to say, you know that was like over ten years ago now, so the fashion landscape has shifted. thank good God for that um I think back back then it obviously wasn't particularly diverse or anything like that, and sustainability and ethical production practices weren't really on the radar, so it was yeah it was an interesting space to be in they've changed a lot but I don't think well, like when I was there I don't feel like it gave us a rounded perspective of the industry and all the different sort of uh sort of different parts to the massive machine that is fashion you know um, it was a good time generally I did loads of learning and it was a great sort of place to cut my teeth in fashion having come from uh like you know working at JD Sports as a kid straight into LCF was a bit of a quite the culture shift you know so I had lots of learning and stuff to do and it was a great environment to um, learn new skills and to get sort of a bit acquainted to the unique world of fashion yeah
0: yeah (laughs) and it's it's good that you mentioned that like within fashion education it's important that we have a scope of what the machine of fashion and industry looks like and how we can contribute it's not just about like sketchbooks and drawing and things it is a lot about the mechanical sides once you get like once you get past the education it is you have to think about that more so than um my sketchbook (laughs) and then that kind of brings us to like glow and how you then started off this um your 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 brand your business um so tell us a little bit about how the name came about and who the brand is for
1: um well i guess the brand is for anyone and everyone sort of It kind of came about from my, I cycle around London and I have a desire not to look horrible on my bike, you know, because there's this world of high-vis clothing for cyclists and activewear basically. And it always, like, it's all luminous colours and it's got zips and Velcro and it's performance driven. So um, it came out of my need to create something that was um, solving my problem on my bike so quite niche almost but actually it's really it's for anybody because in the day and age we live in everybody is more and more commuting on, on not only on bikes but on scooters and running and walking everyone's far more active than they ever used to be essentially uh so our pieces of course they're high-vis therefore for anybody outside um who wants to be seen in the dark because it gets really dark you know after four or five particularly in the winter like after five it's pretty dark and so Um, Our pieces are functional and so fashionable in the day, look like ordinary fashion items. And then at night, the reflective yarn or reflective elements sort of come into their own and then make you visible, essentially, at night. So it's for anybody. uh, And we're trying to push it as that. So it's not just people who cycle. Obviously, it's ideal for them, but it's also great for people who are running, walking, just general humans out and about. The name came about, I guess, because... It was The brand was about glowing and about being seen and about creating visibility for our wearers, our consumers and our customers, but also like visibility for our makers and the process and, and honouring the production, helping the women in that glow and be seen and find their worth as well in what they were doing. Partly.
0: Yeah, it's a great brand. I think it's cool that you've kind of been able to um, make like functional and still make it be like... Um, fashionable, especially because if like, well, I'm not a big cyclist, but I do see like the high vis jackets and then all the things you have to carry once you're going to that meeting, and it's just like it's just hassle. But if you can just take it off, like take off the hat, or even if it's a scarf, it's easier to transition to where you're going to rather than having to take off all these um all this gear because that's all that's available.
1: Exactly, I think good design solves problems, and so our design solves problems for like. Like you're saying, anybody who doesn't want the faff of taking changes of clothing and looking naff and then
0: looking good. And, you know, yeah, kind of like that's all out. Exactly. And what has been your biggest highlight of um, starting this brand?
1: Highlights? are um, oh it was running women group, w- women's groups like i've really enjoyed uh, the process of like eventually getting to points where we're partnering with charities and running women's knitting and natter groups and that was the highlight i think the interesting th- thing about the highlight is and it's something we've had to kind of grapple with is the women's groups and the community doesn't generate like lots and lots of units it's more about community and uh, creating supportive networks and then generating units is kind of a byproduct almost so, I'm, I'm personally quite excited about the community and the journey that we can take women on um, and yeah. just seeing them flourish and grow. But actually, that isn't the commercial side of it. And so, kind of interesting what I'm excited by versus what we also need to be doing. It's, yeah, less exciting.
0: Yeah, that's the unique thing about your business, isn't it? That it's so um, community driven and it's about who is making the garments more so than it's like, oh, we have to get a thousand out so it can sell so we can just sell more and make more and more more but actually you're wanting to focus on the people that are making the garments and the making the products as well and how your business can then um support those communities that are then in a way then supporting your business to be able to provide for the consumer so that's very that's a very good business model I don't want to use business model but it's a good way to to stand apart for what the fashion industry looks like already and um, what has been like your biggest um, challenge?
1: I think it will be that actually. Like, so just my desires, my heart, my passion versus the business side and having to um, be like monetize it as it were and really figure out a way to make it viable. Because obviously the catch 22 is if we're not making enough units to sell and to create an income, then it's not sustainable. So the whole model falls anyway, without the business element sort of being able to, being able to hold its own. So I... Balancing those things has been the biggest challenge because I'm I'm just not naturally a sort of businessy, you know. I'm I'm quite a bit creative, I like making things, I love people, I love <laughs> enabling and just being with women and just you know calling out for gold and helping them sort of come into their who they are, and then yeah, like mm-hmm. fashion, but all of the other stuff is just a pain. Um so the challenge has been, I guess, on on one hand, learning stuff that I don't naturally um enjoy doing. Also trying to find people to like come alongside us and to partner with us and um, yeah business partners and mentors and try and sort of fill my gaps of knowledge with other people who don't have the fashion necessarily background or the social yeah. enterprise background but maybe a greater accounts or whatever it is. Um, so that's been a big of a challenge as like a sole founder, there are so many gaps in knowledge. And then there's my passion, which is like this tiny thing and all this other stuff around it uh, and trying to sort of marry them all um, in a way that's actually um, sustainable and profit making or money making. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think that's like one of the biggest challenge when it comes to like creative um, vocations that it's trying to pair it with like a good business model, a good business mindset to help drive um, the vision but it's still it is about finding that balance which can be really hard we spoke before like this recording about purposeful design and I guess glow falls within that um, sector of being purposeful design um, how would you describe purposeful design
1: purposeful design for me means because I think it's either profit or purpose that drives a business basically and I don't often think both can coexist equally. Um, and so I think to make it purposeful, you just have to put that above profit and really dis- decide what it is, like, are your anchor points, and always work towards kind of ensuring you meet those criteria before profit becomes a thing. And I think, you know, purpose can be all sorts. It doesn't like I think because there's people, planet, and there's a third P. There's different things people are basically concerned about. And I think once organizations or individuals decide what it is that they are deeply passionate about, um, just weaving uh like their sort of pillars of their business into those important issues is purposeful design. And then creating something that's doesn't always have to solve problem. I personally think we have so much stuff in the world. I feel like design has has got to evolve to become smarter. I think at the at the point we at consumerism is at, you know, it's, it's I do like it's bad to say, but it feels like our all-time high, you know, with everyone's consuming stuff and we're just making stuff for the sake of it. I think part of our design is solving problems and not just creating uh, whatever it is, products um, for the sake of it, but having like a real um, issue that you really want to sort of try and either get behind and like sort of rally behind or if you really want to change and see like drive change within um yeah, so these kind of things I think all make up purposeful design, um, and I think for us we're trying trying to do all in a way, but I just think I'm just massively at odds at the at the idea of making things for the sake of making things, which is why we've always like weave in high visibility into our units because that solves a very particular problem that I know people are experiencing. Um, even though it feels like quite the emerging market, because actually people are still, you know, only just getting onto scooters and only just running more and incorporating that into their daily lives. But it's certainly something that's on the boom. And I just think it's intrinsic that things are just made, are made for more than the sake of it.
0: Yeah. And I like how you mentioned, like, having pillars within what you're doing and rooting what you're doing within if it's three, like, beliefs or five beliefs, then that's, those are the kind of, like, driving forces that push your brand and push what you guys do. If you're happy to share with us, like, what are those forces for you? Because I know you mentioned how um, you are, a, like, a woman's advocate and one of the major pillars for you is that you involve women within the process of, of making and giving them that place to kind of um, have a role within the process, but also where they're treated fairly and they feel like they're playing a part what are kind of the other pillars that you have?
1: Um, yeah. So, yeah, women, including them in, like you've said, in the process and honouring them and paying a fair wage, that's definitely something. But I think because, um, yeah, we want to create a, a, wide, a wide range of clothing, so we want to have, like, a, a comprehensive... I want to have a comprehensive brand that has different sorts of separates, not just new wear. Um, and so another pillar would be always using sustainable fabrics. Um, ideally... I would love to get us to a point where we don't actually make new items, but we upcycle stuff. So we'd also partner with other brands that have all their, you know, dead stock or what have you, um, and get women who are working with to upcycle them with hives, you know, be embellishments or motifs. Um, so, yeah, sustainable fabrics. And we want to get to a point where we're not even making our own units, but we're only sort of upcycling and reusing, repurposing other brands. And, yeah, I guess the high-vis element is one of my pillars because, yeah, that's really important. Practical. um, Those are our main things. They actually are quite core to who I am as a person as well. Um, And I don't think that's important necessarily. I think people can choose different sort of of things to base their purpose around. But I think it's also really great when you can do it and it's personal to who you are because that kind of means... You will always so into everything almost automatically, you know, so it, um I think part of finding purpose is thinking actually what are you personally or what is your team personally actually really interested in and passionate about, and then that way you kind of just that's your north star and you automatically kind of go back in that direction um you know, and there may be points where you bounce off and kind of lose it, but you know what you're headed back to um because it's mm. such a embedded part of who you are.
0: Yeah. And also there's that level of wanting to be like in to to have integrity in what you're doing because it's coming from, you know, somewhere inside like the heart (laughs) and you and it's your knit. It's you. So you're not just doing it for the sake of doing it, but there's that heart and you want to do it purposefully. Exactly. Yeah. Just on the sense of like fashion design, um, how can that because obviously you're doing that within your um, business, having that element of purposeful design. Where else can perhaps purposeful design play within the fashion industry? To be honest, I think the fashion
1: industry has ginormous problems with capitalism uh, and mm. consumerism and actually purposeful design. Like One thing I think it takes for purposeful design to play a bigger part is for uh, the industry as a whole to recognise that we don't necessarily need to have seasonal design, you know, so it feels archaic, sort of summer spring or winter this like always having these shows and always churning out new pieces each season it, it, I I feel like we're moving towards a point where it's going to become apparent how redundant this kind of model is in my heart I'm like oh let's get there because actually a big part of it is um is understanding that we're over creating and so we're losing up our purpose anyway like the market is saturated I think that's part of it and that's a big conversation. I think in little things, like, which we're already seeing, in um, stuff being biodegradable, for example, like, I love the idea, like, in 20 years, it's going to be, like, a no-brainer for clothes be biodegradable, you know, for our, um, you know, buttons and zippers and things we've made from renewable resources. I think that feels like an intrinsic part of purposeful design, ensuring that whatever it is can just go back to the ground in within our lifetime, ideally, you know. Um, I think accessibility is a big thing as well so ensuring clothes are accessible for all in terms of um, I'm obviously into functional clothing but when you think about people who have disabilities essentially having to buy specific clothing because you know brands don't think about oh how is somebody with a disability going to be able to use a tiny minuscule hook and eye feature I think things like that I'd love I'd love for purposeful design to be incorporated in into not just making things bespoke and then, again, impossible to access, but in making varieties of stuff, you know? So making a dress that has one zipper that is a sort of a minuscule, tiny thing that no one can operate. And then another zipper that is far bigger and is, you know, a feature of the dress so that it's easier to use and, you know, helps people feel all welcome to the table and feel incorporated and part of the fashion conversation, Um, I think we have to stop making everything so elite, you know, fashion loses its purpose once it becomes such an elitist, I don't know, sort of structure that kind of, um, elitist structure that sort of pits people against each other and has this sort of hierarchy of access to it and purpose just gets lost when it feels like it's inaccessible as well, I believe.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, I totally agree with everything that you've just said. And also that element of um, elitism. And um, I think it's important to value like the time and commitment that's been taken. So it is in a way precious, but also it shouldn't be too precious that like people can't approach it or people can't um, aren't open to help others understand it or help others to change it so it's accessible to other people like you've said, because there is that balance between fashion being art, and then it's you know way up here, and then fashion actually being practical because everybody needs to wear clothes so it, it's about finding that balance, isn't it, because I think fashion can be appreciated as art, yes, but also there's that functional element that everybody on this planet is wearing a piece of clothing so where do we lie? So we've spoken about it in the sense of like the final product and um, the pro—not the of the process, but like the final garment of it being accessible or of it being not so um, exclusive, but like available to all. But how about the design process? How can that be more purposeful?
1: Well, I guess for us, I always design products with the women who are making the items. And for me, that, that helps make it something that they can actually make and isn't sort of onerous and, you know, entirely unrealistic. But I think also helps them, obviously get, gives them, like, power, not power, but gives them buy-in, you know, when we're making the decisions of the design together, then actually when they're then making the units, it's something that like they've created and had as much of a hand in uh, as as I have. And so that feels like it adds purpose to the process of them making it as well. Um, I think, yeah, I think always just thinking about the end user in the design process um, also ensures that it is purposeful, you know. And sometimes I wonder if these have all yeah. these crazy high heels and things that are just, you know, outrageous to wear if people actually thought about the end user and not just the aesthetic. I mean, I get the art thing, Um But yeah, I think I'm all, I'm just always about just the real people on the ground, um, experiencing it, making it. And actually, like, how do we ensure that their part in it is just as valuable, um, as our consumers?
0: Exactly. And also that's an element of, um, I think for you in particular, it's that element of community, isn't it? And also not just community in, um, those that are closest to us, because I think Because the fashion industry is so big, we forget like actually the fashion community is global. And just because we don't see them, it's important that we still should consider them as well. And in us as designers, but also us as um, consumers and having that element of community, like you're saying, um, having that relationship between the women that are making your garments and they're also knowing the design process and how you're what you're thinking and the inspiration. I think also is um, tackling that, that big problem that the fashion industry is a global community and we're missing those interactions. And um, I'd want you to just kind of talk more about like that consumer-maker interaction and your views on that. Um,
1: yeah, I think part of the reason consumers do not understand and do not want to pay more for their pieces is because there's this silo you know everyone siloed into their own kind of intentionally into their own spaces so the makers or you know what what the words do we use we use garment garment workers you know like these kind of desensitized words to uh speak of humans you know actually women and men who are actually tailors uh, and then we sort of simplify the word to a point where it means nothing uh, and then silo them off into a space in the back and beyond of our mind. And then it kind of gives uh, consumers permission to continue having a disconnect because the two worlds just feel um, like chalk and cheese, you know, like why would they even collide? And actually one of my biggest, it's one of my biggest bugbears actually is because I think we are missing so much richness in this world because actually uh, people operate in their own little silos and there's this vacuum and there's no communication in between them and and I I love to tackle that personally like I've always wanted to be able to create a workshop shop space community space where our makers come along and we have workshops and we make things together and they come along and drop off units and it's also a shop for the public come along and buy our pieces and um, and then our makers also work for us you know behind the tills and this kind of like holistic and it again feels like a no-brainer way of sharing community and and connecting us because i always think it's just, just we're so much poorer for the fact that we do not know um each other in uh, in in anything more than this sort of like the media generated and i don't know social media just whatever our head conjures up kind of assumptions of of one another's lives and you know like, I, I want to have a shop in Hackney where all of the sort of, you know, m- middle class kind of such people can come along and spend extraordinarily amount expensive amounts of money on items made by people who live in the area, you know. And there's not this, um, yeah, presumptions, because actually we all make presumptions, you know, our makers are presuming things about, you know, the people who can afford to spend 80 quid on a handbag or a t shirt or something. And then vice versa, there's this, yeah, assumptions being projected projected from both sort of spheres. And I'd love to break that down because I think in order for us to live purposefully and for design to solve problems well, I think we have to understand what we don't know. And when we don't know each other, we don't understand what we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. And then we just, you know, just continue being led through willful ignorance to points whereby we demand things of others and other people assume things of others and yeah it just feels like such a mess like I really would love to have a space whereby everything happens together it's a shop you buy things it's retail it's wholesale it's a community space you know people can come and learn from our makers our makers can teach women and other people how to knit and you know there's some a real sense of equality and a real sense of ownership um in in a space whereby everyone comes in and everyone's the same
0: you know mm. yeah, and I think it's it's great and it's super exciting to 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 see that you're kind of pursuing this and it, it's something that we don't see a lot, but it's something that I think there is space within the industry for, and especially with the technologies like blockchain technology that is kind of coming up that ability to ha- to see as the consumer like what farm my cotton shirt was you know harvested from and those kind of things like just allow us as people who are wearing it to value our clothing more but also just having that transparency I don't know it sounds silly that we haven't like thought about this already but I think it's something that's definitely needed and people will definitely like benefit from um, having that transparency but also having that like you've said the community where you haven't you're having that interaction with the maker with the designer with the people who are selling it with you who is appreciating the garment and wearing the garment but also like when you you meet somebody else who has the same piece of garment if you kind of have that connection where you're like oh my goodness I have it you have it like how do you style it and I don't know it just makes it more like it stops it from being so obsolete and there's value to you know the garments that we wear and yeah it's exciting <laughs> and um I think you have spoken about like your end goals those the kind of like um that community and also being able to expand um the types of garments that you can um, produce and provide, is there anything that you'd wanna mention is like an end goal or something that you want to project um for the future
1: um no i think I think that about sums up really i you know I think. As a designer and also as someone who spots, I'm really good at spotting trends. It's going to sound really like, oh, I'm really good. But um, I remember, like, about, well, look, out of uni, I started an upcycling business. So, like, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Um, and I went to vintage shops and different shops. It was like, oh, you know, can, can I upcycle your clothing? I tried to do an online upcycling thing. And no one bit, like, no one went for it because that was 10 years too early. And now you can't help but, is everywhere, everyone, every shop's got it, and I'm like, okay, great, I was just too early. Um so I definitely feel like <laughs> high vis is like it's such an emerging um market and trend because of the way we're traveling. We've like the lockdown is totally um sort of flipped upside down the way we travel. And I think one of the next sort of knock on effects will be like sort of rethinking how we wear our clothing because it's actually just not practical having around changes of clothes. I mean, who wants to do that? It's a faff. So, yeah, given the way we've had to rethink our model anyway in terms of women's groups in COVID, and it's pushed us to points where we've had to um, like pivot lots anyway. And I think one of the big pivots is going to be starting a separate line sooner rather than later in order to create different avenues for women to um, engage with us and to create you know, community and income and art um, with us. I'm just very... I think optimistic about the way the world has kind of shifted as well post COVID. I think there's a lot more compassion available, and you know, running a shop, workshop, you know, public-facing space feels like it's something that people are more ready for now than perhaps they would have been prior to lockdown. Um, I think yeah, just years just really helped pull people's minds and hearts to the fore rather than sort of kind of everyone being like a sheep and just going on autopilot through their lives. Um so yeah. It's been a bit bleak, but hopefully what's kind of come off off the back of covid is going to be really positive and hopeful.
0: Yeah, I hope so too. And what are you currently working on now if you're happy to share with us?
1: Yeah, so right now we're working on some t-shirts. I'm literally in the middle of emailing um a women's group in um, I want to say Bo about doing some embroidery for us on some bamboo t-shirts, um, and I so I am a massive advocate for equality, obviously if you haven't noticed. Um, and one of the things I really want is for people to continually <laughs> talk about um, inequality. I want us to talk about it. I want it to be normalised. I want I want white people to stop being defensive. I want black people to stop feeling like they always have to start the conversation. I want us to be really competent and confident in talking about race, class, and gender, whatever it may be. And so I want to start making t-shirts. So we're starting with a range of really simple slogan t-shirts that the first set will say um, silence is violence, which actually now I think about it, it probably is the most important t-shirt because this void of silence, it's deafening and it is like violent. You know, it's not just the fact that People are choosing mm. not to think about or engage about it. It's the fact that when they see it, people just still just choose not to use their voices. And so, yeah, the first T-shirt will say Fat Science is Violence" I'm, I'm embroidered on, uh, I think the left or the right. And then the next T-shirt is going to say "Anti-Racist" with like a little hand. And then the next T-shirt will be "No Justice, No Peace." And over the ne- over the summer, we're going to keep just rolling out different emblem T-shirts because. I want just to really uh, encourage people just to normalise talking about this stuff and not to be scared. And I just think people people almost need a very simple way in. You know, that's one of the reasons I started Glow. I think people need a way in, a, a easy buy-in to, to make change. Because I think, I intrinsically believe in people's, people are good. and you know, They just need a roadmap to creating the change that they want to change. They want to see, rather. And these t-shirts are kind of like a really easy way in, you know, to soft conversations to normalizing conversations and anyway that's our that's our project now
0: now that's exciting and I think we've said purposely quite a lot today but it is um that is another example of how we can be intentional um in a in a subtle way you know it doesn't always have to be rah in your face but you know we can be intentional in what we're trying in the change that we're wanting to see and how we're wanting to impact um, as designers the like the societies that we live in um, which is super exciting and I can't wait to see them Um, and it's great as well that you're also still reaching out um, with communities like the women in both to still have a hand and a touch in what you're doing and they too can have that effect in this change and it just it doesn't have to just be in this you know elitist bubble like oh did you have a degree that you know it's like Anybody who can do it and wants to do it and, and has, you know, developed the skill to embroidery and, and, you know, whatever the skill can kind of really play a part um, in it. So it's exciting. And I'd love for people to um, check out, you know, Globe and if they're cyclists and active and stuff to kind of um, check out your collection there. But also when you drop your launch, um, your shirt for people to check those out as well. So where can people find you?
1: Yeah, definitely. So we're online at glow-apparel.com. And then we are on Instagram and social media
0: um, as Glow's Apparel. And thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's been great. (laughs) Thanks for your time. I've loved it. It's been cool. each episode of this season we have been looking at one of the five arms of Carmel Rock and for today's episode we are looking at the fourth arm which is strengthening communities. We believe that community is at the very heart of what we do. We encourage local people to work together to not only strengthen the community but increase individual engagement and involvement in the lives of others. Here at Carmel Rock, much of our work is geared towards inspiring the community to work together and take an interest in what is going on around them. We helped promote conversation between the young and the elderly. By instigating a dialogue between parents and children, teenagers and the elderly, we hope to create a bond between local people in the community and increase richness to the community. We have come to the end of the episode. Thank you for listening. We would love to know what you thought about this episode. Send us an email with your feedback at admin at caramelrock.com. If you like the episode, please share it. Be sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on your favourite podcast listening app. Caramel Rock is a fashion and creative arts educational charity focusing on developing the next generation of designers and creatives by providing training and job opportunities to young people. To register onto one of our courses or find out more about us, visit caramolerock.com or DM us on Instagram at caramolerockofficial. I've been your host, Renata Hoga. See you on the next episode.